This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarterbin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select sort of at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 12th episode of The Quarterbin, I'm looking at Moon Knight number 11 from Marvel Comics, cover dated September 1981. Moon Knight number 11 had a cover price of 50 cents, meaning I acquired this copy at only half off. The story, To Catch a Killer, was written by Doug Mensch with art by Bill Sienkiewicz. The cover is colorful, showing Moon Knight facing off against a dude with a mohawk amidst all the pageantry and weirdness of Mardi Gras. Sienkiewicz does a nice job with dimension as some of the balloons and lights are behind the letters in Moon Knight and some are in front of the letters. It's really an attention-grabbing cover, which is what a cover is supposed to be. The issue itself starts with Moon Knight breaking up a drug deal beneath a bridge in New York City. The increase in cocaine flow into the city is a priority for him. He tells the two men he's only interested in the big boy. One guy, a mohawk thug named Creed, attacks Moon Knight with surprising strength and is able to escape. Moon Knight knocks the other into the river and he calls Frenchie to pick him up in the helicopter dismissing the two crooks as strictly small fry. And since this is not the fantastic cast, I will not play the Airwolf theme here. No, really, I'm not going to. And then, in a total cool move, Frenchie flies the chopper over Grant Mansion. Stephen Grant is one of Moon Knight's many alter egos. Anyway, Moon Knight drops off the ladder into the outdoor swimming pool, opening this underwater passage to Grant's sunken bath was a smart move. Always good to have at least one secret escape hatch, not bad for entrances either. At which point, Moon Knight pops up from his huge bathtub inside his master suite. Okay, that was pretty cool. His um, business assistant, Marlene, is waiting for him in the bedroom. What? Okay. After actually taking a bath, to be fair, he was already in the tub, he changes to a Stephen Grant identity. A woman arrives looking for Mark Spector, who is Moon Knight's real identity, although he doesn't use it much these days. We learn that the woman is Isabel Crystal, Frenchie's true love. Come down to the library, Frenchie, and brace yourself. I have to point out at this point that Frenchie is a French gentleman, and much of his dialogue is written with a French-sounding dialect. So in reading his dialogue, there will be a somewhat French accent. I'm not trying to put on a French accent, It's just that reading some of the dialogue as is, you end up with that accent. Please forgive me. Anyway, Isabel leaves a package with Frenchie for safekeeping. 
I plan to leave it here with Stephen Grant, to pass along to Mark Spector, to deliver it to you. But now, to find you here, I was not prepared. In ten days, she will return for the package and for him. If she's not back by then, we shall never see each other again. In that case, you may open the package and keep its contents. After she leaves, Frenchie tells Marlene and us the backstory. He and Isabel had an affair in France years ago, but the strength of their love frightened Isabel off, and she left him to find herself. Frenchie also tried to forget by becoming a mercenary, where he first met Mark Spector. The lovers met once more in Africa, where she was working for French intelligence. Six days later, we learn that Isabel has been murdered. Frenchie opens the package, which contains $250,000 in cold hard cash. For context, this is worth well over $600,000 today. The box is from a store in New Orleans, their only clue. Jake Lockley, who is another Moon Knight identity, investigates. According to his street informant Crawley, the killer, Cajun Creed, murdered Isabel for failing to deliver a shipment of cocaine. Lockley guesses that Isabel, still working for the government in France, had traced the cocaine pipeline from Paris to Nola, then went undercover in Creed's gang. She delivered a shipment to New York, but took the payoff to Frenchie, intending to wrap up the case, quit her job, and keep the money as a nest egg. But they're not certain about Isabel's loyalty or her involvement in the drug running. He tells Frenchie, either way, her murder deserves to be avenged. In two weeks, they hold Mardi Gras down there. A perfect cover for us. You and I, you and Moon Knight, are going to New Orleans to settle final accounts with Cajun Creed. Once in New Orleans, they disguise themselves, Frenchie as a pirate, and Moon Knight as, well, Moon Knight. Eventually, Frenchie finds Creed in a bar in the French Quarter. On a bet he is engaging in feats of awesome strength, Frenchie steps up behind him and says, Creed, Isabel sends her love. Creed drops the weights and moves in on Frenchie, brandishing his trademark ice pick, the weapon he used to kill Isabel. Moon Knight sees Frenchie and Creed burst out of the bar onto the street. He throws a batarang. Oops, I mean a crescent dart to disarm Creed. Creed throws Moon Knight down and flees into the roiling crowd. A Creed associate, dressed as a clown, keeps Moon Knight from pursuing, but after some enhanced interrogation, gives the address of Creed's lair. Frenchie overhears the info, and he is gone when Moon Knight turns around. Moon Knight finds the warehouse, and inside locates crates full of cocaine. Frenchie confronts Creed, gun drawn. I have caught you. Before the score is settled, you will answer a question. What did you do to her? How did your evil change her when my love couldn't? Maybe your love wasn't big enough or strong enough, but mine was. She did whatever I said. At this point, Frenchie is surprised by a guy wearing a magician outfit who shoots him in the shoulder. Moon Knight drops the magician with his truncheon and goes after Creed. Now prepared for Creed's strength, Moon Knight dodges a few blows, but Creed catches him in a bear hug from behind and squeezes. Unable to break the hold, Moon Knight uses a double-barreled over-the-shoulder punch to escape. You know this move is impressive, 
because of this awesome sound effect. Scumped! Whooped! The fight goes out of Creed. Stop! I lied about Isabel. The killer confesses that things happened exactly as Lockley figured. He caught Isabel on her way to the French embassy to turn him in and tortured her for five days. All she would say was that she was planning to retire with an old flame from her former life, mentioning Frenchie's real name, Jean-Paul. Moon Knight is about to punch him when Frenchie puts a hand on his friend's arm and says, No, Mark, let me. And swacked. Two days later, in a cemetery outside Paris, Frenchie's arm still aches piercingly, but it's not from a bullet. It's from what might have been. And the pain reaches far beyond the arm into the heart. He places a rose on her grave. I am ready, Mark. I have made the break. The End 1937. To keep the increasingly threatening Third Reich from achieving a supernatural doomsday weapon, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt secretly turns to soldier of fortune, adventurer, and World War I hero, Ace Kilroy. Ace Kilroy is a serialized webcomic that launched on Halloween night 2011. The co-creation of writer Rob Kelly and artist Dan O'Connor. It was nominated for a 2012 Eagle Award for Favorite Webcomic, and Kelly won a 2012 Philadelphia Geek Award for Comic Book Writer of the Year. Ace Kilroy features adventure, horror, mystery, political intrigue, and romance. Join the fight against evil. Visit acekilroy.com. The Flashbulb Podcast. Three to ten minutes of fiction brought to you thrice weekly. From cosmic horrors to fisticuffs, fast cars, and smart mouths, we've got a chill for every spine. Find it all at flashbulb.com or search for it on iTunes. <laughs> and we're back. And now for our comic book syllogism of the day. Major premise Professor Allen is a big fan of Batman. Minor premise Moon Knight is extremely similar to Batman. Conclusion, Professor Allen is also a big fan of Moon Knight, all of which is true. And to be fair, when I first read this, I was too young to be put off by the blatant similarities between Moon Knight and Batman. To me, those similarities were a good thing. Another rich guy doing street-level crime fighting in a costume with a huge cape? Hello, I'm in, take my money. And to be fair, it's not just that Moon Knight borrows heavily from Batman. He also borrows heavily, as does Batman, from Sherlock Holmes. And yes, his crescent darts are batarangs by another name. But I admit, I still have a soft spot in my heart for this run of Moon Knight. This series, Moon Knight's first solo series, debuted in 1980, which was prime time in my comic book buying life. I had the entire 38-issue run of this volume, and the three special edition issues from 1983, which were made up of reprints of earlier stories. And to repeat myself from episodes gone by, I relieved myself of these 41 issues about 15 years ago, only to rebuild some of that collection from the cheapy bins. 
And this is the first of these issues that I've reread. And I hope you could tell from the synopsis, it was really good. Not only is this a very solid comic book story, it is a perfect story for the Quarterbin podcast. That's because it's a one and done, complete with a beginning, a middle, and an end. But it's not a throwaway. It's not a filler story. It's not an inventory story. It's a very well-written, well-plotted, very solid comic book story. I have no idea if these one-and-dones were standard for this title. I'll be honest, it has been too long for me to remember those details. I don't recall a specific and overarching plot from Moon Knight. There may have been one, but I think stories like this were common. Sure, was it a coincidence that the drug dealers from the first few pages were connected with the plot involving Frenchie's lost love? Of course that was a coincidence. But in the context of one single-issue story, it fit. It made for a cohesive narrative. It's been said many times, and I will join the chorus. There is so much going on in this issue, so many twists and turns, so much drama and action and emotion, that it would take a minimum of three issues to tell this story today, maybe more. This entire story might run anywhere from 10 or $20 if it were coming out new today. Think about it. Three to six issues, three to four bucks a piece. But this was a bargain back then at 50 cents, and even a better deal today at 25 cents. Now, this was not a dark story, as that term has come to mean today. But there is such emotion, such melancholy, it's very gripping. It is, in a truer sense of the term, a mature story. The emotional content of this story, the heart of this narrative, is mature. After Frenchie tells his backstory, before Isabel turns up dead, Marlene tries to encourage him. But you should be happy now, Frenchie. In ten days you'll be together again. She said she'd make the break, that she was ready. We, oui, Marlene, I should be happy, but I am not. I am afraid. There was something in her eyes, in her trembling kiss, and I think she knew it was our last kiss. I think she was afraid too. I think she knew she would not be coming back. Yes, that's a bit melodramatic, a bit soap opera-y, a bit over-the-top, but it's much more reasonable than the form of over-the-top bombast we could sometimes get from the first decade or so of Marvel Comics. This is exaggeration, sure, but it's exaggeration of what is otherwise believably real emotion. There were a few wonky moments in the art, especially the coloring. I understand that tinting black hair blue is common in comic books to give it depth, but there was a lot of blue here. And on one page in particular, and one character, Grant's butler, who lets Isabel into the mansion when she delivers the package. His hair is totally blue in all four of the panels that he appears in on page five of the issue. It is noticeably blue and looks really bad. I showed it to my daughter Emily, who attempted the no prize that the butler was probably part of the punk scene of the early 80s. That is how electric blue this hair was. But that is a teeny tiny quibble in an otherwise really enjoyable issue. The storytelling was strong, and the writing itself was also strong. I didn't work this particular fact into the synopsis, but there was a running theme of fishing, 
At the beginning of the story, in the scene with the drug dealers, Moon Knight tells Frenchie that the expedition was a bust, only two nibbles, and both way under the limit. These sort of fishing references are sprinkled throughout the story. When Frenchie confronts Cage and Creed at the bar at the end of the story, Creed asks who he is. An angler, and you, my friend, are the big fish. No angler. This time, you picked a shark. Okay, it's not the best quip ever, but I like that motif that ran throughout the story. There was a great balance struck here by by Doug Bench between the emotional core of the story and the obligatory action beats. Very well done. The verdict on Moon Knight 11, total quarter bin steel, no doubt about it. The combination of the quality of the story, the depth of the emotion, along with the one-and-done nature of it, that is exactly what I'm looking for for this show. We've done a two-parter on the podcast, the John Sable issues from episodes 3 and 8, and we have a three-part story coming up, starting around episode 15 or so. So I'm not going to shy away from multi-part stories, but these standalones really come in handy for the show, I think. That wraps up my coverage of Moon Knight number 11, bringing episode 12 of the Quarterbin podcast to a close. And you know what? I am not telling you what I'm going to cover in episode 13. Let's just say that that episode is scheduled to be released late in the day on December 24th. And I'm hoping you will all find it to be a sweet Christmas present. If you have any questions or comments about this issue or about the podcast, feel free to contact me. Information on how to do that is coming right up. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening.